Beyond with Mike Kelton season three is brought to you by Happy Buddha Hemp. Happy Buddha Hemp has my all-time favorite CBD gummies that I literally cannot live without. All the details on my fave nightly treats and sick discounts are coming your way, Carol. But for now, let's get this episode started, shall we? Forever. Dog. He was a flapper in a past life. He's a comedian in this life. He's got a podcast about it. Everything he loves. Magic, magic, psychics, psychics, mediums, astrology, beyond. Hi, I'm Mike Kelton, and you're listening to... Carol, it's Kelt, and I am glad that you are back for episode six of this saga that is the search for a man named Patrick, who I believe is my guardian angel. Now, a couple weeks ago, before the high A, we heard a call, and that call had me, Alex, and Tracy talking and maybe crying for weeks to come. The call that ended with Patrick pretty confidently saying that he would absolutely call me back. He promised. Well, I waited for about a month and a half, and I didn't get anything, which was upsetting. But he was an old man, and I didn't want to bug him, so I just sat and waited and felt psycho. What if that was it? What if he wasn't going to call? So one night in early July, I went back into my emails from Patrick and found something interesting. I saw that on one of the last emails I received, there were other people copied on the email. So I got antsy and I decided to email everyone on this email chain to see if they knew anything about Patrick. Just to show you how fun and wild I am, here's the email verbatim. My name is Mike Kelton, a TV and podcast producer living in Brooklyn, and I'm currently working on a story for my podcast Beyond on the Forever Dog Network. I reached out to this group because you all happened to be included on some emails I received from Patrick, the kind doorman at 210 West 78th Street between 2009 and 2014. I met Patrick by chance while walking by 210 West 78th Street one day in 2009 and became friends and email pals with Patrick for many years. We have since lost touch, but his kindness meant a lot to me, which is why he is now part of a larger story that I am sharing as part of my podcast. I am currently gathering some information on him and was going through some old emails. Through rereading them, I saw that you were also on some of those emails. That is why I am reaching out to you. I am interested to see how you knew him and if he offered you any random acts of kindness throughout your time knowing him. I would also be interested to chat with you even if you didn't have much of an interaction with him. I just find it interesting that we were on emails together from this person who came into my life in a very random and cool way. Anything at this point would be helpful to the story and very much appreciated. Please let me know if you're interested and or available for an interview. I am available to hop on the phone to chat further about this, as it does seem like a rather strange request. Thanks so much for your consideration, and I look forward to hearing from you. Best, 
Mike Kelton. I pressed send and again waited. In the meantime, I was in my backyard one hot and sticky afternoon in early July with Andrew and two of my childhood friends, Tracy and Caitlin. Carol, my spirit guides have a message for you. Just kidding. They had nothing to do with this, but I genuinely want to let you know about some of my fave new things that have made my life and sleep habits a bit more chill and vibe-worthy in the past year. CBD products from our season three presenting sponsor, the iconic Happy Buddha Hemp. I've been truly obsessed with the full-spectrum CBD gummies for a while now, and I gotta say, sleeping through the night is an absolute vibe. It's made me more alert during the day and brought my general anxiety to an all-time low, which is a vibe. If you haven't tried CBD products before, don't fret, Carol. I was also a noob when I tried Happy Buddha Hemp products and I quickly found the perfect dose for me. I recommend starting with the gummies and taking half of one 30 minutes before bed and see how it feels. The next night, do the same amount or go even further to really connect with your subconscious in the dream world. I can confidently tell you that I have tried and love all of the HBH products, which is why I literally asked them to sponsor my podcast. I know, it's sick. So if you want to get in on the CBD life, head over to happybuddahemp.com and use the code BEYOND for 30% off. Again, it's 30% off at happybuddahemp.com using the code BEYOND. This works for all of the products, Carol. So go ham and have a good day. (laughs) I was chatting about the pod and this season and ended up sharing a bit of the story about Chris and the email from her dad that came through the day her baby Carrie was born. And that's episode two, if you missed it, which you didn't because you're here now. Anyway... After a little rosé and a story, Caitlin went on to say something that prompted me to ask if she would be willing to come into the studio and share. And just as a warning, when I asked Caitlin this, I had no idea how dark or heavy this story would get upon hearing the logline. So what you are about to hear is one of the darkest stories we have ever shared on the podcast. And it deals with some sensitive content, including suicide and substance abuse. So if these are things that are triggering to you, this might not be the episode for you. Here's me and Caitlin in the studio Um, for transparency for the pod. Caitlin. Yes. Can you please tell the listeners um, the capacity in which we know each other? Mike was my first love. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more. Before puberty, when we were a little doughier, mm-hmm. we were attached at at the sweaty hand. <laughs> we were attached at the sweaty hand. That's right. Caitlin was actually my date to the eighth grade dance, where I got so nervous I had extremely chapped lips and ended up wearing lip gloss because I thought it was chapstick. It's a whole thing. Anyway. Important for you to know that I ended up leaving my hometown after my freshman year of high school to attend performing arts school in New York City, while Caitlin stayed in Westchester. We lost touch a bit, but always remained in and out of each other's lives, probably because we had a special sweaty hand connection. And before we jump back into the recording, I think it's important for me to share with you that although I knew the framework for this story, 
Caitlin was about to tell, I didn't know the details or the severity. So as you're hearing it for the first time, please know that I also was hearing it for the very first time. So here's Caitlin back in the studio talking about our mutual friend, Mike, who we both grew up with. Yeah, I actually didn't, I didn't know him before I knew him. So I didn't know you were friends with him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I never imagined him as a kid. He was always this angsty little teen punk. Like, I just didn't imagine that he was a kid who you, like, played with. Yeah, we would... He went to Mel Kisco um, Memorial Pool, and we were on the swim team together growing up. And we were, like, we were friends. And we would... He was kind of, like, a little bit of a badass. But, like, I was also not about... I, like, love rules. And I was like, we can't have two candy bars. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, just do it. And I was like, this is thrilling. (laughs) I feel like that's a great... That's like a great way to describe his character. Uh-huh. He was he was just like, well, just do it. He had, he hated rules. Mm-hmm. He had no interest in that. Like mm-hmm. he wanted to live his life how he felt he should live it all the time. And a lot of times that turned out to be incredibly reckless. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this like concept when I think about him that like his life is filled with so many tragedies that I don't know which tragedy to remember him by. Caitlin went on to talk about how she and Mike met. So I met Mike in, I think it was really my junior year of high school. Like I always knew who he was. He was this beautiful, blue-eyed, angsty little shit. And he didn't have a lot of friends. He was kind of the class clown who you could tell went home and wasn't laughing anymore. There was just a really dark energy around him. And I was going through a really dark time. That was like my post-Avril emo mm-hmm. screamo face and he used to throw his hat at my face every time I passed him in F-wing the hallway and I was just like what is he doing and finally I laughed like the 10th time he did it because a few times he did it he like actually hurt me and he was like that's all I was trying to do I knew you could smile and that was the first time we ever that's the first time we talked After that high school hallway hat-throwing meet-cute, Caitlin and Mike continued their high school romance, the way you did in 2001, on AOL Instant Messenger. We spent the whole night talking. And I would see him in school, ignore him. And he would look at me kind of like, what's up? And this just went on for like weeks that we would talk from like, 7 p.m. to like 2 a.m. and then go to school and ignore each other. And I thought he was less dark. I was starting to think he was lighter, he was misunderstood. Um, and that whatever like tacky and tangible scary darkness I thought I saw wasn't really there. He was just kind of shy like me. And then one night... I still don't think we had talked in person yet. He said, if you were going to kill yourself, how would you do it? And I was like, ooh, fun. Well, that was my reaction. I thought we were having like a, you know, a life chat. And I was like, well, first, you know, I I named a few ideas. And then he was like, "Um, interesting. Okay. And then I was like, Just to clarify, this is just a fun conversation. You're not going to do anything. And he said something like, who would miss me anyway? And then I got scared. 
not scared enough to say I would miss you, scared enough to say the principal would miss you because he was always in the principal's office. Um, that's kind of where I was emotionally at that point. You made a joke. You covered up your emotions with yeah. a joke. And that night I was a little nervous, but not really. And the next day at school, he wasn't there. And um, I think I had sent him like a text message, but we didn't really have like cell phones that we tracked regularly then. So no one really knew where he was. And then I saw his mother in the principal's office and she was crying. And then slowly throughout the day, I heard that he had opened up all the veins in his arm that night and somehow fallen asleep in a way that it clotted. And he he was alive in the morning and he was in a mental institution. So this is somebody who whose darkness really kind of waxed and waned. Mm-hmm. Um I had no I I had no idea that's what was happening that night. What was that like for you at what you were seventeen at this point? Sixteen, seventeen? Sixteen, I think. What was that like for you, like hearing that this had happened, like experiencing this? I had a really selfish response. I just felt like how awful that I didn't say I would that I would miss you. Mm-hmm. Lots of people would miss you. Why, like, why was the sadistic nature of that conversation so fun for me? Like, it wasn't fun for him. He wasn't having fun. Mm-hmm. I thought this was like a, you know, a Mad Libs exercise. Mm-hmm. So I just felt really guilty, really, really bad. I wanted to redo that whole conversation. And um, I felt like I, I could have fixed it. Like, if I had said something different, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have done that. I think strangely, I don't know why this just came to mind, but do you watch Stranger Things? I do. You know that like portal that opens up Mm -hmm. every once in a while? Mm -hmm. I felt like that night this portal opened up and I was swallowed into it and he Mm -hmm. and I became connected in this irrevocable, very scary, very sticky way. And I felt like I was in it with him, like... I was just like drunk with this ominous, dark feeling. And I wanted to, I wanted to visit him. I wanted to get there. I needed to talk to him. Like I felt like we were both in the upside down together, in the upside down together. He comes out within like 24 hours. We're BFGF official. Just there was this weird kind of like manic energy following that where he wanted to get back into the world quickly and make up for lost time. And I was so scared that I had almost lost him. So I was like, okay, let's do this. We're doing it. It it happened really quickly after that. So then we're dating and our relationship is incredibly, I mean, even for high school, beyond tumultuous because like, sure, there was like little cheating things, you know, like basic high school drama but then there was also the fact that every other few days he would turn his phone off and say he was having some kind of episode and needed to be alone and I would be sitting there staring at my LG flip phone like waiting for it to light up wondering if he was going to be dead so we would break up a lot we would get back together Uh, we had a great summer 
And then I went to school, and that was really hard. He stayed back in Westchester, Ridgefield. And we were kind of on and off, and he was sober, but he wasn't. He would come visit me at school on the weekend, and we'd have a great time, but it was... I could tell he wasn't going back to anything. He would leave, and I would be like, oh, I'm with all my new friends now, we're doing this new thing. And then he would go back home, and I could tell he was just kind of, like, restless, and we were having different kinds of fights. Um, And I was having a hard time seeing what our future was going to be. And then... We started fighting about him being sober. He would promise me that he was, and then I would hear from somebody else that he wasn't. And we were, like, heading towards December of 2005. We were like, you know what, let's just, let's cool it a little bit, and let's get back together over Christmas break. Like, let's work on ourselves. That was Mm -hmm. kind of what we were saying. And then on December 9th, I think, there was a snow day in Bedford. And his away message was like, on days like this, you can just smoke a blunt in the middle of the street and no one's watching. And I am Tim and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, it's literally so it's ridiculous. It's your away message. Like, like, <laughs> And he was like, oh, my God, no, 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 no. It's just a song lyric. And I remember looking it up on, like, genius lyric. And I was like, I can't find the song. What song? Tell me what song that is. And he was like, don't worry. I love you. I'm not doing anything bad. That night, he goes to a party. And the weird thing about this night, which maybe isn't weird considering us, I had a friend in town. I had, and I had this guy visiting who was my roommate's friend who she had asked to visit because she thought we might be good together. And I was really mad that she did that because I was like, you know, I have somebody at home. Mm -hmm. It's almost Christmas break. Like, I was really upset about it. I was feeling really weird all night. It was a full moon. And we went out and I started to have extreme anxiety. Like, I get anxiety sometimes, but this was like, I felt like I was going to jump out of my skin. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have to leave now. Like, I have to leave now. And I think because that was uncharacteristic for me, like, everyone was kind of like, okay, let's go. Like, Mm -hmm. all right, let's go. And I just needed to, like, be back in the dorm and near my phone. And I just knew something was wrong. And I was just waiting to find out what it was. And then at like maybe midnight or something, my phone rings. And I was like, this is it. Whatever this call is, is the thing. And it's my friend Molly. And she's like, hey, where are you? And I was like, I'm I'm at school. Like, I'm in my dorm. I feel really weird. And she's like, are you alone? Mm. And I was like, no, I have all these people around me. I, you know. She's like, go go somewhere where it's quiet. So I run into the bathroom. And I remember running into the bathroom because I was just like, felt this train coming towards me. Like, I felt like I was being chased all night. And I flew in there and she's like, Mike's dead. And 
It's just like, no, no, no. No, I just talked to him a few hours ago. What do you mean? How is he dead? What? Like, you know, and she tells me that he was at a party. He's with this guy, Ralph, who we all kind of know as somebody who is not sober. Um, somebody also who I didn't even know he was friends with. I, I've never heard of them hanging out together, so this didn't make sense to me. And they're at a party and they left to go get more weed or something, go get drugs. Mm. And the roads were terrible because it was a snow day. Ralph was drunk. He flipped the car. Mike flew out. The car landed on him. He died on the scene. And it just, it didn't add up. But at the same time, I knew it happened. Like, I just... The way I felt that day was just so overwhelming and profound. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And I kept thinking, like, oh, this isn't the thing. Like, I don't want to put my finger on this. Like, this can't be it. It has to be something else. And I never... I remember thinking that night, like, no, he's still here. Like, I still feel him with me. And to some degree, now... It's almost 15 years later. Mm -hmm. I still feel that way. I called him for days. I just kept calling him and calling him until somebody finally turned his phone off. But I felt like he was still there. I felt like we were still in the upside down together and I just had to like find him. Right after he died, I felt... I was scared by it. I remember I went to get a test. I mean, right after he died, I completely spiraled. I was like, I'll just, if I'm drunk all day, every day, then this isn't really happening. Um, And I just remember the day of his funeral, Claire and Molly, my best friends, picked me up from school and I filled a Poland spring water bottle with vodka. And I was like, I need to get a tattoo. And they were just like, okay, well, it's 10 in the morning <laughs> and what are you going to get? And are you sure? And I was like, I got to get it. I got to get the tattoo. So we go to White Plains. I remember the guy was like, what's in that water bottle? And I was like, mind your business, do the tattoo. And he was like, what font? Where do you want it? Like I hadn't figured anything out. I just knew I had to do something permanent in that moment. And I asked for his initials in this random font that he chose it meant you know nothing to me and I remember feeling like behind me that Mike was there and was kind of saying like why are you doing that like in a way that like he was like thanks but like why are you doing that uh-huh. and I, I just had this weird feeling like he didn't know he was dead and he was kind of like trying to make sense of it like really asking like but really why are you doing that it's a weird tattoo and then we leave the tattoo place and I'm showing it to people and I notice that his initials which are MP in this font when you turn it upside down say DUI and it's true Caitlin has a tattoo on her wrist that from one angle says MP and the other says DUI Caitlin went on to talk about how the next couple months following his funeral were extremely difficult for her. And in an attempt to dry her out, her friends, also my friends, took her to Palm Beach. 
So we go to Palm Beach and I'm still sleep deprived and in it. And I have this dream, which, well, so the dream is that I'm in this field and I don't know a lot of people there, but I recognize a lot of them. And I don't understand the relationship between the people. It's like Eva's there. John is there. His sister is there. His cousins, who I've only seen pictures of on, you know, his family walls are there. And I'm just like, why are we all here? And we're all kind of like waiting for someone. And Mike shows up and he's like, what the hell is everyone doing here? What are you guys doing here? And I'm like, Mike, you died. You're dead. And he was like, no. No, I didn't. What are you talking about? And I was like, yes, you did. You died. You were in a car accident. You died. And he was like, no, 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 I did not. And he was starting to get really upset. And I guess I started talking in my sleep at that point. And one of my friends woke me up and I was just like, how could you wake me up? Oh my God, I was talking to Mike. How Mm -hmm. could you wake me up? Like it was, it wasn't a thought in my head that it was a dream. I was talking to Mike. I mean, that was the absolute truth in that moment. And so then for a while, like right after his death, these, these interactions felt scary. And like, I had to keep telling him that he was dead because he didn't know. As Caitlin continued to share, it really felt like she was in some upside down way, haunted by the experience of losing her high school love. Caitlin went on to talk about an unexplained happening that occurred years after Mike's passing. And this was what she shared with me in my backyard a week earlier. So in addition to AIM, Mike and I were a MySpace couple. I don't know if you remember how, oh, of course. what a big deal it was to be in a relationship and on MySpace. Because you're not just in each other's top eight, but there's also room in your profile to do these surveys where it's like, what's your favorite cookie? <laughs> I honestly don't remember, but please tell me more because I'm obsessed with this. There's there's a survey trend and you would just answer all these questions just to get to know each other. And if you were in a relationship, you would take the survey like you would take the survey kind of like in the spirit of your relationship. So Mike answered all these questions to this survey like it's like, what's your favorite um, midnight snack and he's like Caitlin like what's your favorite song whatever Caitlin sings you know it was like that mm-hmm. that kind of thing and so that was his profile like when you looked on his page it was a survey with my name all over it um, and I was in his top eight and our songs were both from the same emo band and we were a MySpace couple a few years later Caitlin is an aspiring actress living and dating in LA still trying to move on when I get an email that's like, you have a MySpace message. And I was like, MySpace? I haven't been on MySpace in a while. <laughs> and I log on and it's from Mike. It, it, he, he wrote it on my wall. It wasn't even a private message. I texted his sister and I said, hey, this is really freaky. Uh, on August 7th, I got a message from Mike on MySpace saying, having, an, having a good life, see you've forgotten about me already, dot, 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 nice. I don't really know how to place that. Uh, hope you're well. And she writes back and she's like, well, I'm so sorry that happened. I have no idea. Um, 
I, you know, I, I, I thought I was like, there's an explanation for this. She's going to say, oh, my God, you know, we gave his computer to one of our cousins or a nephew. Someone's mess. Like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. But like, I know who has the computer. But the computer is sitting in his bedroom in his dad's house in a closet shut. Nobody has his password. This is 2010. This is like before we were hacking each other. And my mind exploded. How can I live? Like, this makes, this doesn't fit anywhere in my brain. The way you feel right now is the way I felt a week earlier. The reason Caitlin shared this story with me in my backyard is because I was chatting about the season and ended up telling her the story about Chris's father and the email from episode two. But this story is nothing like that story, besides the message coming through. This story has a weight and a darkness to it. Something I started realizing this season was that as I dive deeper into my own personal exploration of spirituality and the beyond, I can't ignore that all of it is in fact not feel good. And it was around this time that I started to feel that way in my search for Patrick, which is something you will hear about more in the next episode. But the lesson is that the light can't exist without the darkness. And even though that sounds like a quote from Star Wars or something from Oprah's book club, and honestly, maybe it is, it is in fact true and became more abundantly clear as Caitlin went on. I think... Something that that always bothered me when I was talking to mediums and talking to friends about my dreams and the weird, weird little things that were happening with him was that they were all like, you know, he just wants you to be happy. He wants you to move on. He's in a better place. And I was like, you didn't know him. (laughs) Sorry, you did not know him. Mike was jealous and possessive and 100 percent, even as a ghost. how, How would he become enlightened? He was like 17 when he died. If he were a ghost, he'd be like, why are you dating someone else? Why are you crying about me forever? Like, that's who he was. Mm -hmm. And like, I say that with affection. Like, I think that's funny and who he was. And I would rather it be that way. But people who are trying to help you wrap up the grief are kind of like, you know, he wants you to move on and be happy. And I'm like, no, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. (laughs) He wants to see me cry in my car about Uh this. Yeah. Like, that just wasn't on brand for him. And so to see that message was kind of like, it realigned my faith in my own, like, emotional jurisdiction. Like, I was like, maybe he really did want me, you know, maybe, maybe when people die, they do become these like enlightened, mature, evolved spirits. Um, But I always had this nagging feeling that he was just still him. Yeah. Do you think this is something that will just be a part of, your life do you think like mike will be around in this kind of like weird purgatory for the rest of your life or have you thought about um trying to find a way to help him move on or if that's even a thing that you or someone else could do i think that mike will probably always be a little bit of like a stitch in my side and almost in a loving way for my whole life. Like I've gone through periods where I've been like, I'm going to get this tattoo removed. You know, I've had more years without him than I've had with him. And 
then I look at it and I'm like, no, this tattoo isn't about me. It's about him. It's about like mm-hmm. honoring that I was important to him in his life where it ended, even though he'll become less like our relationship will become less important. Um, I, I feel like there's like a little bit of a, a shadow on my personality that will probably always be there. And I, I don't know that I've tried to help him move forward. I, I've talked to him a lot. I've hoped a lot that he can, but I think fundamentally I don't understand what happens after we die. So I don't know where I'm telling him to go or how to tell him to get there. But yeah, I don't know. I think I'm still, I think I'll always wrestle with where to place this and and how to have it and carry it and not make it a threatening thing for my partner. You know, I've had a, the person I was with before the person I'm with now was like, get over it. This is someone you dated in high school. Like people die. It wasn't that big of a deal. Like get over it. Like it's, it's, you're, you're, you know, romanticizing it. You're, you're putting too much energy into it. And that felt wrong in my gut. I knew, I felt like he was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like spiritually, that, that seemed really wrong. But at the same time, like, to some degree, I do have to wrap it up and move forward. And it's interesting, and I think we were talking about this in your backyard a little bit, but I think dealing with Mike and kind of, like, understanding his darkness and riding the waves of it has kind of made me well-equipped to, to understand other people who are like that. At the end of our session, I asked Caitlin if there was any lesson in this experience for her. I think that the guilt that followed that first night when he slit his wrists was that there were so many things that I wanted to say in that moment that I chose not to. And I think consciously or unconsciously, I have been continuously, I've been continuously trying to make the choice to say everything that I'm thinking, especially if that moment feels important. Which is just one of the reasons Caitlin decided to share her story with me and the listeners. It was not a throwaway decision for Caitlin. She thought a lot about it and even contacted Mike's family to make sure this was something they were okay with her sharing. And even Tracy and I chatted about if this was in fact something we thought appropriate for the season. But ultimately, we decided that this story was important and in some way orchestrated by something larger than us. Which is why what happened the following Monday made me realize that this story was not finished. So, for context... Tracy and I left the studio after Caitlin's recording and called each other the next morning because we both felt like we couldn't shake the story. We were affected by the gravity of Mike's life and the complicated and haunting effect it had on Caitlin, but it felt even more intense for me. Many of the stories I've gathered are from people I know, but about people I don't. But this one was different. This was one about a childhood friend who grew up in the same place I was raised. And that place is Westchester County, New York. And for me, 
Westchester has always had a darkness to it. And leaving to go to a performing arts high school at 15, I felt like I had escaped Westchester. But Caitlin and Mike stayed. Which is why hearing this story firsthand brought me back to that space. And that's the space that I was in the following Monday, when Tracy and I had Asa in the studio to ask him some questions about themes we were finding throughout the season. And in the beginning of this session, I mentioned that we would get into a darker story later in the recording, but at no point did I ever mention Mike or his passing. And about two hours in, after a bathroom break, Asa turns to Tracy in the studio and says, Is there a loss of child or did somebody um, young die in your life? Or, in, you know, there's, there's loss of child or uh, young, you know, like under 10. Uh, give me one second. I don't know. There's a child spirit that's around, that's hanging around the space. So I'll see where that sort of goes. But, yeah. but since we've been in this room, there's, there's a child that's hanging out. Young. Under 10? I think, young, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not, you know, it's hard to judge with spirit, but yeah. I would say no, it could be. Because there's a child. And it's, by the way, there's, there's conditions that are, it might be a little bit not comfortable around the conditions. And, you know, there's a heaviness that's around this. And, and wait, wait, don't talk yet. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's funny. It, there is a way where some of this resonance sticks to you. So it's, it's, I'm telling you, I, I do think it's, it's, so it may not be in your personal life, but it's, it's stuck to you. It's something that's in your head. It's something that, that goes around. So maybe it's our topic. I don't know, but there's something, was there a child in your topic, in your dark story? So that's fine. Yeah. Listen, age can be wrong. I'm just, I'm getting this young. Although I will tell you, they may have been really young and immature on some level, you know? There may be a maturity or like where they didn't develop fully in certain ways. Anyway, there's this, this, this young person that's in the room. So, and uh, has been sort of around. I sort of felt it when I first got here, but I wasn't sure what that was about. It was sort of a, it was faint and it was coming closer. We're talking about a boy, right? We're talking about boy I'm getting. Boy. boy. If I'm picking up on the right thing, I get victim. Uh, so. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. God, there was real mental illness, though. Mm-hmm. There's real mental illness around I this. I know. And, uh, and so- Asa went on to explain specifically what he was tapping into. So you know what's hard? I realized something. Uh, it's, it's not... Um, remember I told you sometimes you'll connect in the energy of somebody, not necessarily that they're actually present. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be either the echo or the knowledge. Or whatever. This is sort of a psychic field that's been created. That's That energy is still here. You can tap into that resonance, not in a way that it's haunting the space or whatever. Like, I don't want to, you know, dramatize this. It's just reality. It's, it's impacted. Its presence is here. It's something you can tune into. And so what I'm tuning into has, you know, it's like there's, it's, a, it's an echo of an experience. So it's not as clear as like you're talking to somebody and they're telling you this is what happened. At this point... Tracy and I were absolutely taken aback in the studio. We weren't prepared for this to happen. I wasn't even at the microphone when Asa started picking up on this. And what really affected us was the fact that Tracy and I had chatted at length the weekend before about how we felt in some way like we just couldn't shake the gravity of Caitlin's story about Mike. Myself, even more so. For context... I grew up with Mike. We were on the same swim team. We ate too many candy bars together. But that's where my story with Mike ended. 
I knew he had passed, but never knew the details and definitely didn't know the extent to which he struggled the years prior. Hearing this from Caitlin in the studio really sat with me. It felt like I was hearing it for the first time, and that's because I actually was hearing this story for the first time. And as the emotional, spiritual freak being that I am, I was going through it. And that may or may not have been dripping off my entire being inside the studio, sitting across from Asa, the medium, which is why, after sharing a bit of Caitlin's story, Asa went on to say this. You know, there's actually a trauma in finding that out. If you're somebody who really cares and makes a connection, there is the the trauma of even being hit with that. You know, you telling me the story is traumatic, right? And But I have distance from it. You know, when you had a connection back to the story, to this person, mm-hmm. and now you find out that this is what happened. And so, number one, realize like that that's a, 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 a disturbance in the force of your being that happens. Yeah, well, you know, really not felt just like in, that. <laughs> not just in your emotional being, but in your psychic being. Uh-huh. And then there's this part of you that hasn't had time to process this. You haven't had, you know, all these years since it happened. And so now... You know, even on an astral level, like where Mm -hmm. we go and we dream and we, you know, all of these other things happen. You're like, you're connecting into his energy in this journey, Mm -hmm. whether you realize it or not. And it's probably attracting him and there might be a part of his presence that's there. And a part of the presence that shows up for you might be the part that went through this because you're reconciling as you're going through it. You're having a hard time processing and reconciling it. And so you're actually attaching to them because you're wanting to make something better that you can't. And some part of you is holding on to their energy and wanting to fix something that there's no fix for. And Asa was right. There was no fix. I couldn't fix anything. But Asa did start to pick up on Caitlin in this session, and I didn't feel right using the clips of us chatting about her without her present. So I chatted with Caitlin that night, and I told her what came up in the studio. And I asked her if she would be open to chatting with Asa. And she was. So what you'll hear next is her phone conversation with Asa a week later, where she ultimately got a bit of clarity on a question she has yet to answer about Mike and his passing. I think he really had a hard time connecting with the world. Like he was, uh, you know, uh, he felt like a stranger on this planet in a sense. Um, And it's interesting because there's something dark around him, you know? Um, And and did he have a dark quality to him ever? Definitely. Okay. Because that's what I'm getting. Great. So there's something dark around him and all that, but but I'm going to tell you, that was his shield. Like when I peel through that, I feel a really pure heart, actually. Like somebody who was really at soul level, just full of like, I want to say love. I don't want to sound corny, but like love and compassion and, and all of this energy. And I just think there were just so many layers of wounds over it that there became sort of this dark shadow, which was like a way to, to protect that in some ways. Yeah. But I think... And I think he struggled between those two because I don't think he was sure which one was his identity. And the truth was, I'll tell you, I think in human form, his identity became both because <clears throat> both were true things for him. You know, he had Asa went on to chat with Caitlin about that MySpace message, what it was, and what it meant for her and Mike. So anyway, so I think <clears throat> remembering that, yes, I think that's a part of his codependent energy coming in. But I'm going to tell you, here's the more important part that was really coming up for me, which is, I still think that there is a part of you that was holding on to him. That MySpace message was as much your energy as it was his. And I think that there's something to be made peace with there. Yeah. I think that you're right in that 
even though I have moved on in so many ways that there is a part of me that feels kind of responsible for carrying on his memory because I was one of the only people who were close to him. And I kind of feel like if I don't keep reminding people about him and how great his short life was, that he'll just kind of disappear. Um, So like, I do think that is part of the anchor. I think in that way, you, you like almost take a responsibility on for his legacy, like for his living legacy in you. But here's the part I really want to share with you. And again, this is your personal journey. I told you in the beginning, not selling you absolutes. You don't have to believe it, but I'm just going to share from my perspective, which is you don't have to just be, it's not just telling somebody's story. Realize that they're living on in us by us taking time to remember them by, you know, whatever that good was that we had in our relationship with them, taking that with us and moving forward. And in moments, maybe when appropriate, if their story comes up, of course, by all means share it like you chosen to for the pot, you know? Um, and in that way, you help somebody's legacy be there. But it's, it's really in us that they live, not necessarily just in the stories that we tell. And the other side is, it's important what story we get connected to with them, because the story we get connected to with them will keep us locked in that identity with them. And that really stuck with me. It is important to think about the stories in which we remember people. We should be conscious of the way we tell these stories, because ultimately, they are the living legacy of the people we loved. Caitlin went on to ask Asa a question, an unanswered question about Mike's spirit, one she's had for a very long time. Do you think, can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah. Anything you want. It's your time. Well, after that, I saw like 10 psychics. Like I, I talked to so many mediums and just, I was just trying right. to figure out what the, what the hell happened. And almost all of them who were able to like connect said that he wasn't, he hadn't like moved on and and granted this was almost 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, the latest one, but they had said that like, he just seemed like very stuck and kind of like in a limbo that he had made his home. And I'm just wondering if at this point now that so many more years have passed and I've in some ways made peace with our abrupt ending. Like, is he still in that space? Um, to answer you, I can't medicate you with like, oh, he's totally at peace and all is good. What I actually feel is that he's at the next level of evolution, that he's actually in a period of growth. And that's why, and it's interesting, I think even all of this coming up right now, like I think it's all synchronistic because I think this is the time when he's ready to move forward in a sense and ready to to evolve. And that's why I, I wanted to talk to you and offer to talk to you. But when I connected, I felt like this was important and I wanted to share with you because it felt like this is a crossroads for him and, and maybe for you too, to be able to uh, have a release, to be connected, but at a different level, and more on a higher consciousness level than rather just your journey together here on Earth level, if that makes sense, or a heart it's level. I'd say crazy goosebumps. I never get yeah. goosebumps. I don't know why. Well, well, there you go. Because it's true. I wanted to say on the other end, I don't think he was ever stuck in limbo. I think that he was in really slow progress, and I think it could easily be read as stuck. But I think it's really, I think it was a misinterpretation, honestly. I think it was, he wasn't ready to move forward. I think he had a lot of, as we already acknowledged, traumas and negative patterns. And I think he wasn't, in a sense, allowed to move forward till he processed those. He had to still do, in a sense, the therapy, the maturing, the work on that side before he could move forward, just like he would have had to if he had stayed here, if he was going to have a health Caitlin went on to ask Asa a question. 
And in this question, she revealed something that was new to me. And this ended up being one of the most interesting parts of Asa's reading with Caitlin. Can I ask you one more super quick question? Oh my God, whatever you want. Uh, so I'm a writer and about like two years ago or some, maybe three years ago after I went to his grave on his the anniversary of his death, I was just like really, really inspired and decided that my next book was going to be kind of about him, but fiction. And I wrote manically for hours and I had like 30,000 words. Something crazy happened on my computer. It all did. Oh, audio blipped here. She said deleted. Crazy how the word deleted got, well, deleted. I called Apple. They're sharing a screen with me. They're trying to figure out where it went. They're like, there's literally no no footprint of you ever even like typing a single word. Like we don't know what just happened and it's gone. And obviously that kind of oh just like... God. Not- can I just sit here and kind mourn with you a second? That's so <laughs> sad to me. 30,000 words of effort and energy and storytelling gone. Yeah, it could have been garbage. Who knows? I was just all like, but that doesn't matter. Wrapped your, up in wow. totally. I was, I was can I tell you up. the message? That, I'm going to tell you right now, though. You know what the words, question is? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to tell you right away what hits me, I'll, and then I'll take your question. Okay. Because um, it might address two different things, but I don't. I want you to hear what hits me first, which is, um, you wrote those words for your healing for him and for you. Mm that changed the whole pattern right there. And, and I'm going to tell you something else. <clears throat> it doesn't mean you're not supposed to write the story. Okay. It actually means that the story that you wrote was, was the journey to healing. Now it's about deciding whether or not there's a story you want to tell that feels authentic, that you, it's your, that, to tell that story. Okay. You don't okay. think that was his way of being like, don't write about me. So... I think I'm, I'm trying to connect to him and see just to make sure. So I'm not just giving you an opinion. I mean, my opinion is, you know, that could have been partially it, but I'm still going to tell you, even if that was it, I'm still saying to be able to have that power of manipulation to make that happen was still where it's completely gone. That was still in, in some spiritual alignment with like the need to heal the trauma mm-hmm. healing, you know, it, it was like all connected to that. Um, but does he feel that way? Let me ask. Let me see if I get that. Interesting. So uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. I, what I get from him is that he doesn't want to be written about in a way to make, that makes people feel sorry for him. Okay. I, I don't feel that he doesn't want you to write about this. Don't write about me. It's, don't write about me. Don't make me a victim. And I, and I don't think it means, like, don't address where I was a victim. I think it means don't make me a victim. Like, a what was me story. I have to keep on yeah. that. And so, interesting. And I'll tell you what I'm getting. It's like, if you write the story, it has to be from your perspective. It's actually not, it's not his story, it's your story. With his, him in it. And that's a, that's a story you can tell. Huh. I chatted with Caitlin after this call from my hotel room in downtown Cleveland, Ohio. And it was nice to hear a lightness and a calmness in her voice, one that felt a little bit different from the tone she had in the studio months earlier. 
It felt like Caitlin had finally gotten an answer to a question she had been holding on to for many years. And as her friend, I could genuinely feel a bit of a shift in her edge. But I didn't feel like this story was fully told until I received a text from her a couple weeks later. In the text, she revealed she had a dream about Mike. So I asked her to record that dream. And what you're going to hear next is that dream. I had the craziest dream the other night. I was in this giant, beautiful open field with all of these people. And there was kind of like this sense that we were waiting for a show to start. And I didn't really know anyone. Like everyone looked like vaguely familiar, but I couldn't understand who they were or why we were here. And then all of a sudden your voice comes on this like invisible loudspeaker and I don't see you anywhere but you're talking to all of us and we can all hear you and you're kind of like telling us that the show is about to start or something's about to begin and then I look next to me and that guy who's sitting next to me is just like trying to get my attention and he starts to show me that he can pull off his face he's like pulling and like it sounds really gruesome and scary but it it wasn't in the dream. He's just kind of like pulling off his face like putty. And then all of a sudden under his face, he's Mike. Like he is a hundred percent Mike, but, but so different than I've ever seen him in a dream. And his hair is really fluffy and clean and shiny. He has a beard. Like it's the first time I've ever seen him in a dream where it seems like time passed from the accident. Like he was too young to have a beard when he died. You know, so I've never seen him with a beard. I don't have that, you know, image in my mind to recall. And even his hair was like, I couldn't stop staring at it because it was so clean. And any other time I've had a dream about him, his hair is kind of like heavy and matted. It's like he just got out of the accident. Like there's nothing like clean or shiny about him. Um, And he was just like buoyant and smiley. And I don't really know what he said. But I think we were talking and when I woke up, I just had that crazy, weird feeling like, was that a dream? Like, was that a message? Was it something else? Like, it just felt so significant to see him that way. Um, It was really wild. I liked hearing that dream. It was refreshing and symbolic and nice, even though it absolutely made me sound like a cult leader. More importantly, it made me feel like there was a larger reason for sharing Caitlin's story about Mike. Throughout this entire process gathering this story, Tracy and I kept checking in because we thought it would be at its end. But then something else would happen and another door would open and we just had to follow it. And somehow we ended up here with a dream where Caitlin, for the first time, saw Mike as evolved. Lighter. Older. Freer. Which Caitlin told me felt like a little bit of closure. And if Mike did send that MySpace message, just like Carrie sent that email, I wondered throughout this entire process if Mike had any hand in this episode. I texted Caitlin before the hiatus to tell her my shit schedule would push this episode a couple weeks, something completely out of my control. And Caitlin told me, I knew this would happen. She was referring to how this episode about Mike is being released today, on December 10th. 
which, if you are listening on the day it's released, is the 13th anniversary of Mike's passing. And while this might be a weird coincidence for some, just as Caitlin said earlier, it's not weird for us. If you or someone you know needs help today, you can find help at the Crisis Text Line and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. They're free and available 24-7. Text the word HELLO to Crisis Text Line at 741-741 or call the Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. If you or a friend need help right now, call 911 or go to the closest emergency room. Forever! This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.